It's time to talk about Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. And now, here's Ira. In each movie produced by MGM Studios, Leo the Lion appears with the motto, translated into English, Art for Art's Sake. It is my contention that for Las Vegas, the motto should be Paco for Art's Sake. That's because my guest is Vegas-born Brian Paco Alvarez, CEO of Psionic Artworks. It's a cultural and curatorial consultancy, say that three times real fast, based here in Las Vegas. For everything about Psionic Artworks, go to Psionic, and that's spelled P-S-I-O-N-I-C, psionicartworks.com, and follow Paco on Instagram at Las Vegas Paco. Paco, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ira, for having me. Excited to be on. Yes, you were on my old show, and I appreciate you coming back. First question, oh, yeah. I, go ahead. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, absolutely. I remember the old show. Like, like we, we, it's funny. We're, we're doing lunchtime with, with Ira again. Yeah, so. exactly. Oh, now, now let's talk about Las Vegas, which made more sense. <laughs> so first question out of the box before we talk about your career and art. Big question, macro level. How has culture evolved in Las Vegas? Oh, man, has it evolved? It's, it's exploding. Uh, you know, for a city not known for having a, a very robust cultural art scene, uh, culture is now defining the city into the future. It's really exciting to see where we um, where we were, where we have been, where we're going, where we are. It, it's remarkable, remarkable. It's it's you know, it, but also it's 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 a Vegas style culture. It's it's our own culture, and and I think we we need to make sure that uh, people understand that 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 Vegas culture is very unique. It's very our own. It is. And you've been part of it for a long time because when we first met, and I may be wrong, but when we first met, you were with the Liberace Museum and we did an interview with you back even that farther back. And you have done so much over the years, everything from getting involved with the Liberace Museum, as I mentioned, Siegfried and Roy Costume Collection, the Nevada State Museum. It goes on and on. You curated the Beneath the Neon exhibition, which was based on the book by Matthew O'Brien, who also has been on the show. So you've done a lot of stuff. You worked at the Las Vegas Convention. Well, it's, it's the LVCVA, the Las Vegas News Bureau, where you were the archivist there as well. You went to work for Zappos, and I assume you have a large collection of shoes at this point. And they're probably, <laughs> they're probably, they're probably curated. And, 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 now you formed, and now you formed Psionic Artworks. So tell us about the company. How did you end up putting together this consultancy? Consultancy. You know, I, there we go. Consultancy. Yeah, no, I got you. I got you. It's a, it's a mouthful. It's hard to say psionic, but I <laughs> needed to choose a name that was very sci-fi. And originally I was going to choose the name Acme Artworks because I love <laughs> cartoons and I thought it wouldn't be cool. And so there's a guy back east who uh, actually owns Acme Artworks and I and I called him. I was able to get a hold of him. I said, well, do you want to sell it? <laughs> you know, and he says, no, I hang on to it and I was like darn you know not that I had a lot of money to give them anyway but so I went into the um, the uh, the dictionary of sci-fi terms and I came up found a psionic and psionic is the perfect mix of what I wanted psionic actually means using the mind for magic and that's what art is and that's what culture is is, is really using the mind to create to create beautiful things like the painting behind me by Alex Huerta so really, Ira, I, I'll be brutally honest with you and your audience. I just got fed up of working with people. I got tired of working 
you know, for the man, I got tired of working in government. I got tired of working in, in the private sector. And I said, you know, I think it's time for me to take all those years of expertise in the museum, in the cultural arts, uh, you know, and I've sat on multiple arts boards, museum boards. I was an arts commissioner. And I said, you know, screw this. I'm going to do it for myself. I am going to shake. I'm going to be disrupt the, uh, the cultural arts in this community and use all that expertise and create my own company and be my own, uh, my own entrepreneur. What was the reaction I, when you first launched the company? You know, it's interesting. I launched the company in the middle of the pandemic. I actually had another company I started, uh, a startup called Fabulous Story Tours. And January of 2020, things were really picking up for the tour business. So I thought I would just kind of get away from, you know, doing uh, the cultural arts. And I, uh, I thought, let's focus on tours for right now because it's easy to do. It's fun. I want to engage with the public. Started booking a lot of tours for March and April and May. And then I got back from Reno the first week in March. And that's when I, I just said, things are, things are just not right right now. There's a lot of things happening. Uh, a lot of my meetings were being canceled. And then the RJ called. The RJ called the Tuesday. Let's see. It was I got back from Reno on March 5th. And that's, for, uh, that's Las Vegas Review Journal for our listeners outside of Las Vegas. Yeah. And they called me up and they said, how is this affecting, how is the pandemic? How is, how is the tourism affecting uh, your tour company? And I said, well, I have not had any cancellations. I, you know, that was on a Tuesday by Friday, all of my tours for the next three months were canceled. And I just sat back and then I, I called the RJ and I said, you know, um, all my tours were canceled. And they said, well, what are you going to do? And I said, what can we do? You know, everything's starting to shut down. The, the world is beginning to to um, to take this very seriously. And it literally, it was a week later after all my tours shut down, really the city just started getting, you know, shut down. The strip was closing up. Boards were starting to go up on businesses. And I get a phone call from Bob Coffin, you know, former city councilman, Bob Coffin, a dear friend of mine. Uh, really was instrumental in my career and also appointed me to the Arts Commission when he was uh, as a city councilman. He calls me up and he says, Paco, I have a business owner that needs, um, you know, uh, uh, their their boards on their buildings painted. And, and I was like, oh, okay, can you help them find some artists? And I said, yeah, Bob, whatever you need. And so I found some artists and literally that was the last week in March, my new company, Psionic Artworks, was born. Amazing. So that, it's crazy. And the logo is the Phoenix and the Phoenix always rises from the ashes. So now you get launched and you find because of, you talked earlier about your connections and your expertise, you start to get business. And I always wonder when people pick a name that I'm just thinking if I put myself in your position and I'm looking up, okay, Paco's got this consultancy. It's something like uh, and I don't know how to look it up. I can't do a search, but you know, I guess if you look under Paco, you'll find it you know, through a search online, but that would be my one thing that I would be hesitant about using that because of the unusual, again, it's P-S-I-O-N-I-C, but pronounced psionic. Yeah. And it's, it's really also a way to teach Americans how to, how to, how to pronounce the P. <laughs> the P is silent on so many. When you put a P in front of an S, it's always silent, right? As in psychology. So kind of psychology and, and, and several other words. So, uh, But at the end of the day, I wanted something very unique. I wanted to um, 
you know, I, I could have used an old, my last name. I could have used my first name. I could have used something a little bit more Vegas, but I wanted something that kind of spoke of the time. And, and, and Elon Musk, interestingly enough, was a huge influence in the, in the choice of name because he's, uh, you know, one of his companies is uh, working on the, this cross between the human mind and, and computers. And he's, and I know he's been downloading or working with this, this, this pig that, that's actually connected to a computer. And, you know, there's been an uptick in the use of the word psionic, not just as a sci-fi term, but also in the in the Dungeons and Dragons community. There is a rocket company in Texas called uh, Psionic, you know, Systems or something like that. And there's been this kind of ironic kind of uptick in the use of this term. So I think it'll become part of the more uh, part of the nomenclature in future, especially with now that there's the kind of this interface between the human mind and computers and what the mind and the computers can do together, I think is, is fascinating. And it, it's really up there with, um, with psychology and electronics. So it's the mind and electronic put together in psionic. And, and really, again, it was just this fun way of just, you know, my nerd, my nerd side of, of loving uh, uh, sci-fi and, and, and all that fun stuff, especially with the movie Dune coming out this year. As an artist, do you think there's a challenge there? Because people have this notion, not everybody, some people have this notion that when you get too close connecting the human brain and computers, that the computers will take over and run mankind. I'm just putting it out there for a moment. You as an artist and as a curator, are you looking at that at all that way or is it, are you seeing it just the benefits? I see the benefits of it. I think with, with right now with uh, non-fungible tokens, NFTs coming um, online, uh, especially with the blockchain, with cryptocurrencies, this kind of new future way of looking at how we interface with computers and how uh, humans are interacting with this new technology. Uh, the future is great. I'm, I'm a futurist. I, I like the idea of the metaverse of being able to go into a whole other universe, the matrix, as some would like to call it. And be able to create uh, art in that in that universe in that ecosystem, and I think the future is is here. Uh, it's been here for a while now. It's just a matter of embracing it. I mean, when when companies like you know Sotheby's and Budweiser, I think just announced an NFT, uh, are starting to to capture that technology, especially the market share among young people, those millennials. Uh, the Gen Z and, and the other alphabet soup of, of, of generations that are coming, we have to know that the world is moving forward, and, and we either we either join we either are zeitgeist and, and, and be the spirits of our time and move forward with it, or are we are we going to be left behind? And I think art and artists need to, you know, start thinking out. I mean, artists and creatives have always thought outside the box, and I think it's really important for them to to continue doing what they're doing and embrace the current technologies that are out there. And the future technologies as well. How do you deal with that, though, from your point of view, to make sure that the humanistic portion of that element or that combination will still be there? How do you know that, yes, you can embrace a future, but if the future is dystopic, how do you retain your humanity? I know we're getting somewhat esoteric, but I think it's important since you raised it uh, as an issue in terms of the future. Well, and I think that's where we cultural anthropologists are going to have a have a field day in trying to explain this to uh, to generations and to students how we look at 
um, the future. I mean, can you imagine 500 years ago, anyone living in Renaissance Europe looked at our world today? Uh, Nostradamus and, and his quatrains aside, you know, uh, how would they look at, at our technology today? I mean, we look at Star Wars or Star Trek, for instance, a simple thing when the doors would open up and close by themselves automatically. <laughs> you know, I don't know what supermarket you, you go to that doesn't have those doors. Mine is <laughs> the sound, you know, the shh, shh sound. <laughs> um, so I think, um, you know, there is a lot of talk right now of dystopia. There's a lot of talk of, of, of you know, what's the, the faster future? You know, what's happening in the world globally, you know? the world is changing and it's changing very, very rapidly. The pandemic has demonstrated to the world, not just, it's not just America. It's not just Las Vegas. It's not just the Americas or Europe or China. I mean, it has demonstrated globally that uh, business as usual is not going to be the same. It's, it's from the creative perspective, I think it's fascinating because we are at a very important time in human history that we are looking at a complete and total disruption of both, you know, passive systems, you know, past systems, the way of managing people, how to organize people, and also how countries are organizing themselves politically. You know, we're, we're looking at this fascinating era where, you know, even, even American democracy is, is being challenged at every corner. And that's when art really blossoms beautifully. And, you know, here in Las Vegas, even in the last several years, I mean, since I left the convention authority where, you know, it was a very time and tried tradition of, of we do this heads and beds, we market the specific as the premier, you know, business and leisure destination, which by the way, the obviously they recently changed their mission. I don't know if you noticed to a much more humanistic, much more understanding of the local community. Uh, things are happening more on the localized level. And a company like Psionic and some of the, the experience I have is being able to bridge that gap between art and business and how art can actually attract business because it creates a sense of place, not just within our, our, our community and its ecosystem, but also within the microcosm of, of how we interact with retail. You know, which is, which is really dramatic. I, I working at Zappos for four and a half years, I really saw that. And by the way, I have over 150 pairs of shoes now, thanks to my time at Zappos. <laughs> I was right. So, so there <laughs> you were right, you know, but you know, we, we look at a company like Zappos where, you know, they were exceptionally creative organization where they were able to intermix that creative industry into retail but also most importantly in how they interact with customers and the level of customer service that Zappos was able to give its customers is second to none in the industry. And it's a perfect fit for a city like Las Vegas, which is built on customer service. I was born and raised here. I went, I worked at the MGM. My parents worked at the landmark and the original MGM. I mean, customer service is paramount to our community and how we market ourselves as, as a, as a, as a tourist destination. And, you know, customer service isn't just how we treat people, but how people experience our companies, our retail places, our places of, of, of retail, our restaurants. You know, it's part of this whole experience, you know, and we see, you know, like Area 15, this new entertainment complex in Las Vegas, that is completely experiential. It's really taking uh, the, the, the entertainment level to a whole nother 
um, to another level, you know, really. So we're, we're really beginning to look at folks' experience in real time and how it can, um, it can help drive commerce. From an art perspective, I, I think you have your work cut out for you, and I think you have a potential for growing rather rapidly. Because I was thinking about, again, regarding Las Vegas, there are certain properties, certain resorts that are, for want of a better term, utilitarian. And I'm always amazed that they get visitors because there's nothing that stands out about them. You have some that obviously are very well thought out when the Mirage opened and Bellagio, etc. But there's others that are very, what I call bland. It would seem to me someone like you and your consultancy would be very helpful in creating those kinds of spaces and those kinds of experiences within that bland environment. Have you, have you been approached by any resorts yet to help them develop that approach? I'm glad you brought that up. I have. I'm working with a small boutique hotel right now that's being developed and will open in downtown Las Vegas. And we're, we're doing something very similar where I've looked at their um, kind of design deck and, and been able to curate a selection of artists and art that will complement their overall ecosystem within uh, the downtown space. And so, you know, looking at the larger resorts and keep in mind, Ira, I also am a cultural anthropologist. So I look what sets me apart from other companies and other organizations in Las Vegas that do similar work is that I look at the human side. I look at, I dig deep to find out who my clients are. And there's a great example. I'm going to give out a shout out to Sam and Ash, which are some local attorneys that moved to Las Vegas a couple of years ago from Southern California. They moved right into the arts district. And when I sat down with them uh, to curate a work of art, I really, I, I made a few phone calls to Southern California. I, I dug deep to find out what their passions were. And we were able to create a fantastic work of art with, by the artist Gear Duran of, they love dachshunds. So they, the dachshunds are their, 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 their thing. They have a, they have a little mascot called Rocky, who's this little dachshund, real cute, always wears a bow tie. And because 2020 was the 100th anniversary of the first flight, to land in Las Vegas, right behind uh, the Sahara, what would eventually become the Sahara Hotel in 1920, we were able to tie in their passion for dogs, plus uh, the, fir- the celebration, the first you know, flight to Las Vegas. So we had the, the, their docks in Rocky, you know, flying this airplane. And so that was a real fun project that we worked on. And so that's, that's the kind of service that uh, me and my artists, my team of artists uh, that we work with, what we do, you know, we, we dig deep. We try to find those S that, you know, that the essence of our client. And we can very easily do that with the resorts that, uh, that are out there. You know, I, I would love to work with some of the resorts. I mean, obviously the Bellagio, Encore, Wynn, those are, those are, that's, that's, you know, I'm going to name Steve Wynn. I mean, Steve Wynn, genius when he comes uh, to understanding his resorts. I mean, I remember the opening of the, of the Mirage Hotel and just the attention to detail. Uh, you know, he would not open up his resorts until they're perfect. And what we, what we don't see with other resorts is that, you know, they, they just want to open up. They just want to get these things open and then they'll fix all the issues. And uh, the, the Wynn just never did that. Um, they never went to, you know, they, they weighed it. And I'm not saying that universally, you know, obviously city center did um, a great deal of work in, in really understanding who their customer base was. And, and, you know, they, they have an art collection, but I, I think 
um, the the issue that I see with a project like City Center is that they ended up buying $48 million or $44 million of artwork, but it became like a decoration on a Christmas tree. City Center was a decoration, was the tree. And then you have all these like blue chip artists, like famous artists like Klaus Oldenburg, Maya Lin, that just basically decorated this resort. And that is where a company like mine can come in and say, look, you know, we don't, we can't have this kind of artwork look like a decoration. It needs to, to have a purpose. And, and all public art has, has a purpose to bring a sense of place in a community and can't be just used as a way to draw high-end tourists. So that's, I think, where the disconnect is. And I think, uh, I strongly believe my company uh, can easily assist um, the larger resorts and future resorts to help develop art collections uh, that not just are, are important for their guests to appreciate, but also create that sense of place that we see in um, in our community. And I think a good example of, of where we see that a great touch of, of art is at uh, Rockefeller Center in New York, where, where they were able to tie in this beautiful art deco, you know, or post art deco with um, really spectacular works of art into a cohesive presentation for the community. Do you think that will happen in Las Vegas? Because we talked about how culture evolves and how we're into looking at the future. And yet some of these resorts, again, not the ones you mentioned, but ones that are, as I mentioned, utilitarian, will their corporate ownership take a look and see what's been happening, not only in Las Vegas, but everywhere, and say, you know what, we really need to interact more with our customers? Or is it that we're such a mass-produced tourist destination that that's not going to happen? It could go one way or the other, right? Yeah, it can definitely go one way or the other. And I think where we're going to see that is, is, is developments not necessarily related to the gaming industry. You know, the city is maturing and it's maturing very quickly. We see that, how, especially how the LVCBA is beginning to market to a whole new... The LVCBA, uh, huge kudos to Steve Hill and the folks over there. Uh, you look at the staff at the LVCBA, young, dynamic, creative. They're looking at... Las Vegas is more than just a resort destination, but they're looking at it culturally. And this, they are realizing that Las Vegas is changing. Our university is, is now a tier one top university in, in the country, which is a huge thing. I mean, I graduated from UNLV back in May, and now I can, I can brag that my master's degree comes from a you know, top tier university. The university district in and around uh, UNLV is expanding, growing. Uh, we're beginning to see that the university taking a very big leadership role, which in turn will uh, bring new industries that are not necessarily related to gaming into our city. Why? Because of our tax, um, our, our, we have a great tax environment here. We have great, um, we have great, uh, you know, weather. We have a, a, a creative industry moving here. We now are a, a world-class sports destination. We have the, you know, uh, the Raiders, the Golden Knights, and possibly the Oakland A's coming into the city. So, you know, the city is changing rapidly. And if we don't, if we don't, if we don't stay with the rapid pace, we're going to be left behind. And I'm really excited to see how, you know, the, the industries other than gaming are really beginning to embrace you know, a side of Vegas, especially the creative side of Vegas that we haven't seen before. And I'll be honest with you, I think uh, after working at Zappos and seeing, you know, how a lot of the activity that took place downtown because of 
the late great Tony Shea and seeing how the hotels, uh, some of the hotels on the strip were like, well, wait a minute. If they have giant Django over at the Gold Spike downtown, well, we can do it too over at the park on, or, you know, over there, um, by the New York, New York, right in front of the T Mobile Arena. So, you know, I think that the resorts are going to quickly learn, like, oh, wow, maybe we should do things like this so that we are not so much an artifice, but actually a little bit more genuine. Here's a controversial question. I say that because I just thought of it. You are based in downtown Las Vegas. And based on your last comment, it seems that. In a way, downtown is leading the way in this cultural revolution in Las Vegas as opposed to the Strip. Would that be a fair summation? Absolutely. 110%. When you have people like Jim Urin looking at downtown, or at least his, his uh, Jim Urin, the former CEO of MGM, when you, when you have him and, and, and his executives looking at downtown Las Vegas and particularly snooping around downtown, seeing what Tony Shea and Downtown Project and, and the folks in the 18B Arts District are doing, and trying to emulate that for the strip resorts, then we're doing something right down here. And the, the beauty the beauty of what's happening downtown is it's organic. We're building downtown not for the tourists, but for the locals. And if the tourists just happen to show up, great. If not, you know, but uh, we're beginning to see more and more visitors coming downtown and going to different bars downtown. And they're like, wow, this is a side of Vegas that we had no idea. And because of course the resorts don't want you to see this side of Vegas, well, guess what? You know, eventually they'll have no choice but to help. They, they'll realize that the more authentic side of Vegas that they can see, the more tourists are going to come here. It's really, really important. Will downtown Las Vegas ever become too hip for the room? Given the development of the Arts District and all of the East Fremont and the whole Zappos experience, et cetera, can it embrace Middle America or is it going to get too artsy and discourage? visitors that maybe come for a different experience? No. Uh, you know, it's, it's the more art, the more culture, the more hipster, the more, the more creative, it'll attract more people because not everyone wants to come to Vegas and spend money in a casino. You know, they'll stay in the resorts, but they'll, they'll want to experience things a little bit differently. You know, and also post-pandemic, a lot of people really are not going to want to stay in a crowded casino. They want to get out. And I think that's where you're looking at, at inklings of this with the LVCBA and the LVCBA. I keep on bringing them up because they're our big boosters. You know, they're the, they're the big CVB that, that helps attract visitors to Las Vegas. You know, the, people are going to come here to experience things outside of that. And one of the things outside of the gaming corridor is downtown and, and is in particular the Arts District and Fremont East. And by the way, there's other areas. Let me mention downtown Henderson. Downtown Henderson, what Mayor Deborah March is doing over there is just short of remarkable. They're about to open up the Silver, um, you know, the, the the Silver Knights Arena. They they're embracing art. They're they, it's really amazing what she's doing. The city of North Las Vegas also is changing rapidly. They're beginning to embrace art and culture. They finally have an an arts commission themselves. And also, we should understand that the city of North Las Vegas is a city of science. I mean, you have uh, you have major industries like Bigelow Space Industries located there. You have the Hyperloop test track over there by Virgin, let alone also the, the new campus of the university. And you have Nellis Air Force Base, which has always been on the cutting edge of technology. So really exciting things for Southern Nevada. And these are all becoming attractions for people that don't necessarily want to go into a casino and gamble. 
Well, that's a great way to leave it. My guest has been Vegas-born Brian Paco Alvarez. He's CEO of Psionic Artworks, a cultural and curatorial consultancy based here in Las Vegas. For everything about Psionic Artworks, go to Psionic, and that's spelled P-S-I-O-N-I-C, Psionic Artworks. Go to psionicartworks.com, and you can follow Paco on Instagram at Las Vegas Paco. Paco, thanks for being on the show. Thank you, Ira. Always a pleasure. See you next time. You've been listening to Talk About Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world.